from days of long ago comes a legend. You have walked into the room of Fireback Radio. You can find us online at firebackradio.com. And of course, I'm your host, Brother Marquise. Welcome back. With me, I have Reggie Ford, who's running for the 8th District seat for the Richmond City Council. Greetings, sir. Marquise, greetings to you. Thank you, sir. And I want to applaud you for the wonderful thing that you're doing by bringing uh, controversial subjects and educational subjects out to the public. So my hat's off to you. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, sir. And I appreciate you coming on. I hear that you are running for public office and I got you on the phone and I'm going to I'm going to apologize to you right now. I just want to ask you some questions. It might not be easy, might not be hard, but we got to get down to because the people want to know. Just a few questions. Let's do it. People want to know who you are. So who are you now? And when I when I search for you online, you know, we you know, we got to what am I going to see? Marcus, good question. Who I am, first of all, is, is, a, is a humble man who cares about the community, who really cares about what's going on. That is who I am internally. Now, the question you really ask is, what have you done? Why do you think you should be on city council and why should you run? Because I don't see anything out there saying Reggie Ford should run for city council. So I think that's the question you really ask. So let, let me share with you a little bit about my, my background. And then I'll share with you a couple of things about why I'm the appropriate person to uh, represent the 8th District, uh, 8th District Council. Uh, first of all, I, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Texas. I'm originally from Galveston, Texas. So I know you and you, you had an earlier talk with Mr. Chuck Richardson, but that's where Juneteenth started in Galveston when we got the word two years late that uh, the, the slavery had ended. So that's that's where I'm from. So I'm from the, the, the Mecca of the Juneteenth and, and that was instilled in us and how to be, uh, on one accord and help out your other person. So that is part of me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm prior military. I was in the Air Force, uh, for four years. And then when I got out of the Air Force, I moved to Richmond, Virginia. All right. Hold on right there. And I've all- hold on right there. You were in the Air mm-hmm. Force. And for for all of the military people out there, we all know that Air Force doesn't really count as military. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm gonna come back on that. And you know what? And I appreciate you saying that, Marcus. So let, let let me tell you that. And I'm agree with you. We we military, but I I won't say that we go through the rigorous uh, adventures that you all do. Because when I was in Saudi Arabia, my hats off to anybody who was in the army. Because they took care of us. They made sure that nothing happened to us. And we rode in air-conditioned luxury vans and stuff to our workplace during the middle of a war. I was living in a condo when I was in the Air Force during the middle of a war. So I, we get the job done, but we don't hit the road. And we, we're not doing all the 
the, the, the dirty work, as you would say, as the military. So I, I, I can't fight you on that. Yeah, I can't fight I, you on that one. I will tell you. Reggie, I think you need it. I think you need to take a little credit, Reggie. They couldn't have done things they did without the people in the Air Force. It takes the combined effort, and you deserve as much credit for being in the Air Force for saving. Because when I was in the Vietnam and the Marines, the Air Force was what saved my behind so many times. And without them, I wouldn't be here today. So stop doing that, brother. Take credit. You did as much of a part that was essential as anybody else. Mr. Richardson, you're absolutely right. But I like to take the humble approach. They they teach us when you're sneaking up on your enemy, you don't let him know you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you might Bam, do pretty well. You, you might do pretty well. You might do pretty well. But don't but don't let me interrupt. I, look, I, I was in the army. I was no, there, I, I was there during the Gulf War. I used to see the Flyboys come in. And matter of fact, when I got back to the states, when we used to go out into the field. Now I used to live on a missile range. I used to, we used to go out into the field. The Air Force used to come to the missile range as as they're uh, going to the field. Now we're going into the desert and these guys are coming on the range and they're telling us, whoo, man, it's, it has sucked to live out here. And then we're looking at these guys like, man, this is, <laughs> this is where we are. So what you talking about? But, um, yeah, that's, bro, just from an army guy to an air force guy, of course, I got to throw you a little sauce, man. So never mind that. And, but thank you for your service and, 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 and brother, let's, let's keep, keep it moving. So tell me again, let's, let's start it over. What do you do for a living now? And, and do you have time? For the city, currently I'm a, I'm a mortgage broker, and I like to say I'm a, a mortgage consultant because I talk to many people and I help them with finances, moving into their homes, refinancing their home to pay off debt or whatever they do. I love that because I really focus on low to moderate income housing, and that's one of the reasons and one of the platforms for me we're running for city council is low to moderate income, and what can we do to help people increase their income and uh, affordability with houses because that was the research that showed people who rent tend not to send their colleges, send their kids to college as much as people who, 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 who own homes. So owning a home, you, you tend to send your college, your kids to college more. And the research actually said that was a more of a stable home environment if you had a home versus rent. Now I'm not knocking rent. Even though I'm a mortgage person, I think everybody should own, so I don't want it to come across like I'm knocking. Some people have to rent for now, but I don't think that has to be the, the end-all, be-all uh, rent. So that's what I do. I help people uh, with low to moderate income to move into homes. I help people understand their finances. And once we do that, we actually put them on the track to help them with their budget. And let me share one other thing with you. I used to work with this prominent bank uh, that here in, in well, here on the East Coast. And we, I sat on a board, and that board was calling, called Fostering Home Ownership. And to do exactly what I just shared with you. But while we were talking on that board, we found out a lot of people did not have bank accounts. They didn't know how to budget their money. They didn't understand the basic finances of money. Uh, they didn't know how to properly interview for a job. So we had to backtrack. Now, this is a bank who makes their money, you know, giving loans. We had to backtrack. And start step one, step two, step three, step four to get people in position to do that. The same thing I know you and Mr. Richardson were talking about the statues. And I know the statues have come down and I'm waiting for step one 
after the statues come down, because just taking the statues down doesn't kill the, the racism and, you know, all of this vitriol that's being spewed right now. So everything has to have a step. So that is uh, the, the steps that we take to people, put people in home ownership. We need to take steps to make sure we do something after the statues uh, come down. But yes, I'm in the mortgage business and I love it. I, I, I love it. I have the time. That was, that was a two part question. How do I have the time? Uh, actually, um, and it's going to sound a little vain, but I'm, I'm good at what I do. I, I'm good at what I do. So I have a system in place and I always believe that you have to have a system in everything that you do. Uh, you heard the old saying, you can cook a hamburger better than McDonald's, but McDonald's is making all of the money because they have a system in place. So I definitely have time for my constituents, uh, the, the, the city of Richmond, the, the people in the 8th District. Time is not a factor. That, that's Great good. question. That's good. So what about, because we've been, we've been hearing about the strong arming of law enforcement officers during the protest. Do you have a position? on that you know what I, I do and i actually have a five-point plan on that but before i, I share with you what my five-point plan is uh, and one of the points i'm going to talk about now the second point on my five-point plan is when they talk about defunding uh, the police department you, we can't defund the police department uh, we have to right fund the police department so i want to go over my my, my five-point plan with you on this. The first point of my plan is uh, change the mind, the, the, the mindset. Uh, what I mean by change the mindset, and I mean this on, on two, two, two accounts. The first mindset is we know that, that police officers, they get de-escalation training. We have to intensify that de-escalation training when you go to a uh, 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 a situation, of course, you don't know what's going going to happen, but you have to be more well-versed in de-escalating that. And we need to make sure that uh, these, these police officers are going through more psychological tests because a lot of things are happening. You may have left home that day, and you and the wife may have had an argument, or the wife and the husband may have had an argument, whatever the case may be. And we are humans, and sometimes you take that to your job. Right. The second thing is, and this is, on my other plan, but de-escalation also needs to go uh, to our youth as well. And let me share with you what I mean by that, especially our young black men. When you have a young black man who, who's growing up in a home with just his mother, and I'm not knocking that because my mother raised me, and I get upset when people say a woman can't raise a man, and I'm all man. So, But when you have a young man who's growing up in a home, uh, where he, he sees poverty every day, he sees shooting, he doesn't get an opportunity to experience life because life has dealt him a bad hand and and he goes to school and, and his, his grades are suffering and then he, he, he gets involved with the wrong people and, and then he, you, you step on his shoe and he's fighting and, and, and or they don't even fight no more to shoot you. It's not like when you and I went to school. So I think we need to de-escalate on both sides so we can do that. I think that would help some of the, 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 the problems that we have. And, and, and once you do that, you will see how uh, that would help people. My second point on my plan is the is the deep, don't defund, uh, right fund. What I mean by if you take some money away from the police police department, uh, uh, make sure you're putting it in those areas where you have uh, mental health because they don't know how to handle that mental health. Make sure the right 
departments are getting that money. Just don't take money from the police department and just just disperse it across the city or just take it back. You need to make sure that the police, first of all, are well-funded, well-trained in their particular job. They're not they're, they're not trained to be a social worker. They're not trained to deal with mental health. Yeah. That's what we, that's number two on my plan. Number three is eliminate qualified immunity. A lot of people don't know what that word means, a qualified immunity. But cops, if, if we're going to, let me put it like this. You have your own company, the government or whoever, you, you have a company. You don't have uh, when you get, uh, the government doesn't allow you or you won't be able to allow to do your own audit. You have to have an outside person to come and audit your company. Uh, when you send your taxes in, yeah, you can do your taxes, but when once you send your taxes in, it may get audited by the IRS or some subsidiary, whoever they, they form it out to. Well, the same thing needs to happen with the police department. We need some outside review board or someone to make sure that we can uh, uh, audit the, 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 the infractions that happen with the police department. Qualified immunity allows them to, to have a little more freedom. I was talking with a lawyer several weeks ago, and he was telling me about, uh, and, and you can see it on TV, when a cop gets arrested or something happens, he gets to go home that day because they say he needs to clear his head and get his thoughts together so he can come back. And that's, and that's perfectly legal. But you and I can't go home once they come and arrest, arrest us and put the handcuffs, we're sitting there. Now, we don't have to speak. We say, hey, I need to wait till my attorney gets here. And a lot of us don't have an attorney. We have to get a court-appointed uh, attorney. And that's, that's a whole nother, uh issue uh, that we need to address as well. But if you had an opportunity to go home and you got 72 hours or 48 hours to get your head together before you come in and talk to your chief or your buddy who's going to interview you or internal staff, I think you'll be, a, uh, you know, you, you it, that's a little lenient uh, towards you. The, the, the fourth part, and I know I'm going a little long with this, and I appreciate you allowing me to get this out, mm-hmm. is demilitarize the police. We don't need to show up in military-style tanks and all armed guards with M16s on the streets. We don't live in that type of society. I think that's the wrong thing. I think that's the wrong message. That's the wrong image, and we shouldn't have that. Now, if we have to call out the National Guard for something, allow them to do that. If we need to go get training, uh, um, our police department in that type of, 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 uh, of job, we can send them to the National Guard, but we, that shouldn't be a, a first resort, a second resort, a third resort. We should not, this is not a police state where we come out and, and we we look like the military and tanks and all in full gear. I'm not, I'm not in, in uh, favor of that. And, and earlier I, I mentioned something about, uh, what well, the fifth one is independent review board. And I mentioned that earlier. But the most important part of this independent review board, it needs to be made up of a lot of, of, of citizens. And in particular, make sure that the citizens that are representing that board is congruent or reflective of the, the demographics of that area. So if it's 40% black in the 8th district or in Richmond or whatever the case may be, that board needs to be made up of 40% of that. If it's 20% of Hispanic, that needs to be 20%. And we also need to have police and other jurisdictions on that board as well. Just not a complete civilian review board. 
so that is something I'm glad you asked that question. That is one of my main platforms. I shot a video today and I didn't even bring that up, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. But that is something that we really need to look, look at right now because the police, uh, uh, we need the police. We really do. So great question. Thank you, Marquis, for that one. Well, when you're talking about defunding, I don't know if it's all about taking money out of the hands. I think being defunded means what one of your points was to defund equals demilitarize because since 9-11 we've done nothing more nothing but militarize the police and that is one of those deals where you can get over on posse comitatus easily if you have a militarized police force instead of sending in the U.S. Army it's the same training it's the same equipment uh, the same weapon they used in Afghanistan is now on the streets of Richmond I, I believe that um, we should take a moment to take a step back and realize that it, it would be so easy right now to pull the trigger to become a police state, being that we are chalked field in Corona and in, in coronavirusville, And we don't even want to go there because I could talk all night about what I believe in it. But right now, as it is, the government is, is, forcefully putting in mandates just like they did after 9-11 and you have to be very careful about that so if you have somebody locally who can defund that aspect maybe we can slow down that train getting into tyranny let me comment on that and i agree with you 100 percent. this is one thing i don't like about uh, some of our politicians now they throw the word defund out there we know by the definition of defund, that means take away, take away the money. And so most people, when they heard that money, heard that word, they immediately thought that we were going to get rid of the police department and we were going to run free. And that is what got people in the uproar. And then, and we had a couple of people here, uh, uh, on council talking about defunding the police department. I want to make sure, and this is something, this is one of my platforms, is transparency and not saying words to grandiose words and stuff to make me look good, but breaking it down so we can understand. You can ask Mr. Richardson about this at some point. There are so many times when we have a referendum or something we have to vote on, and the wording is so obscure, just so crazy that we really don't understand what's in there. And what the people do is say, oh, which way should I vote? You don't want that. That is not, uh, that's indoctrination. That you're inculcating that person's thought process and they really don't know what they're, 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 they're voting on. So that defund, when I first heard it, it really disturbed me. And that's, and that's when I really jumped into acting and said, let me put a plan, see exactly what they mean, put a plan together and jump on it. If you want to look at something of actual, actual, um, a uh, 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 success story. Go look up and Marcus, you may you may want to do this, and I and, and I have some contact there. Cameron Police Department in New Jersey uh, that completely changed the I, I completely changed the police department around. It is it is totally it was the worst uh, in uh, next to Newark and all that in New Jersey, and now it is a it is the model police department for police departments across the country. Now, now I got one for you. Now, now, now 
I'm going to say when you get in. I'm not going to say if. I'm going to say when. I would like, personally, maybe the state police or the, the Richmond City police could, could raise awareness. Not raise awareness. This is the issue that I always have with shootings by police officers. They always shoot all of their clips. You know, they shoot all these shots into somebody. You have five cops unloading. Now, is is there something that you going into city council can do, can raise up to the city chief for, for different training to where you will have one or two people to take the shot, not five or six people to take the shot if necessary? Probably about three years ago. Uh, uh, four or five years. I got a video. It's something, and I'll send it to you. It's a video I did. Uh, I started something about four years ago called Unite the City. And I, I forgot, so many of us have gotten killed. I forgot what black man got killed. So I started Unite the City. So I started out, my first one was in the H district. It was a lot of people there. Then the next one was in Chuck Richardson district. It was in the fifth district. Then we did the third one in the seventh district, which was at Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And I invited the police department there. And I remember Sergeant Alameen and uh, several other police, policemen, uh, policemen and women were, were there. And we have no video and I'll send it to you once we're, you know, once we get off the call. It was a great, uh, meeting. We learned a lot, but Sergeant Alameen invited everyone in there to come to the police academy over here next to Virginia Union for something called Mylar training. That's the simulation. They go in and you shoot the gun. The gun feels real. It's it, it heavy. You, you got a screen, got a camera. The person is all the whole reenactment. It's a real person. There's no cartoons. It's nothing. So we get in now. A couple of us went and we pulled the trigger. I'm out. I'm out of bullets. I'm thinking something wrong. I unloaded on the person. Did not know that I unloaded on the person. And, and I shot an innocent person. So it's, it's, it's these um, different scenarios that they give you. The reason I share that that, that with you, uh, I don't know how often, and, I'm, and the answer to your question is yes, but I don't know how often they go into training uh, to to be prepared for that. As you know, being in the military, we, we play war games all the time. We just been sitting around and wait for a war. We played all the time. And that may be a step in the right direction to increase their war games. Well, I don't want to say that because they're not, they're not in the war against us, but uh, increase their training. So they, their reaction time and their, their sense of, <laughs> of, of, of awareness will be more acute. Uh, that is definitely something we have to do because you're right. Uh, but, uh, I would definitely put that on my list as something to sit down with the chief. And the reason I say that, and I'm glad you brought that up because the, uh, the, the, the incumbent in my, in my, uh, uh, district that I'm running against, she is the safety person. So she has the opportunity to sit down and talk with the chief every day, every week and every month because she is the one that's over, over or in charge of that. And that will be something that will hopefully fall into my wheelhouse. Now I'll, I'll tell you like this. As a truck driver, a truck driver has to do a pre-trip inspection and a post-trip inspection every day. Now, if you skip that inspection, you could blow a tire. I mean, of course, you don't have much control over that. 
but you can you can catch issues before it happens. When it comes down to police officers, tr- that type of training, at, at, I'm guessing at least monthly, I don't even know what their schedule is, but at least monthly to get you s- sensitized to uh, how how often you shoot. Like you said, you want to load it a whole clip. As a trained <laughs> professional, you should never unload a clip. Now, right. in, in a lot of these cases, you'll see somebody get shot. They had 24 bullets in them. And it's like, well, how does three cops or how does two cops have 24 bullets in them? You know, they only, they might only carry nine or 10, maybe, maybe 12 in a, in a clip. That means somebody had to, you know, take the clip out, reload and, and keep shooting. I mean, mm-hmm. we see it way too many times. So that, that's my little grind, but I'm going to ask you one more question. Now, with, with all of this that's going on, with the movements, with, with the riots and everything else, there are some unsavory people in the background that could possibly try to take credit for what's going on. So, but my question is for you, like the BLM, the Black Lives Matter, who do you, what do you support exactly when it comes to the Black Lives Matter? So, first of all, let let, let me say this. about the protesters and, and, and what's going on. I'm always and have always been a strong proponent for the Constitution, for the right uh, to, to, to publicly assemble. Uh, however, I draw the line between a, a peaceful protest and thugs and hooligans that come in and destroy and tear up the city like what we saw in Charlottesville. Uh, I saw a clip. And it was a, a young white girl painting BLM on a building. And this black girl went up to her and said, don't do that because they're going to blame us for that. I saw many clips with uh, white men who were dressed completely from head to toe. And they, some of them had an umbrella so they could not be really uh, seen, but you can tell. And they were walking around. Uh, and this is here in Richmond. This is not on the news. This, I mean, it was on the news, but this is not uh, in some other state. It's not mainstream. And they were burning and destroying and tearing things down. And there are two Black Lives Matters out there. There, there are two of them. And and I know uh, uh, the the video about Patrice uh, that Patrice put out uh, that she was a trained Marxist. And and when I saw that video, I really want to sit down and understand what she talked about talking about because I know, uh, uh, as much as I like them and I love them, the Black Panthers they follow a lot of the Marxist uh, 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 doctrine. They actually went to uh, Elders Cleaver uh, went to Cuba and uh, uh, um, I forgot the Cuban guy name, the one who died. Um, oh, Terrence. Okay, so they Chase actually the went. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and they went there. So when she said to Marxist, and I understand that she was trained up under that, and I, and I wonder in my mind, does she really understand what that is? Or it, does she really understand what's going on? Because she said it, uh, the video was new in her infancy. I think it was like a couple of years after they formed, uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I, I really would like to see if someone can sit down and I just really want to understand 
her thought process now on on what's going on. But I do think there are two Black Lives Matters. I think there's one that's true, sincere, pure. And I think there's another one out there that is is apparition. It's, it's a ghost. It's somebody who's, who's tending to be something that they're they're not, and they are putting Black Lives Matter on things, and they're and, and, and it's making it look bad. And, and everything that happens, the far right saying Black Lives Matter is a racist organization, and then the far left, I'm I'm on the left, so we, we're supporting it. So there's some misconfusion and misunderstanding out there. So good question. I know I sound a little ambivalent on that, but I still think there's some questions that need to be answered because I know what the doctrine and the teaching that the Black Panthers were under, and I know what their thing was. They were strictly about helping helping the people. And then I understand what's going on on this side with Black Lives Matter as well. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Well, Mr. Ford... I appreciate you giving me some time and come back anytime. I can't wait for you to win so I can uh, at least have somebody I know in city council down in Richmond. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm pretty. Hey, Mark, you have somebody. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and I, I appreciate you. Actually, uh, this is the, actually the first public forum that I have announced that I'm running for city council. So you actually got the first exclusive. Many people know I'm running, but this is actually my first actually announcement that I'm running for uh, office. Now I'm on the ballot and all of that, but thank you for giving me the platform to, to share that. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening with Reggie Ford, who's again running for the 8th District seat for the Richmond City Council. And before that, we spoke to the one and only Chuck Richardson. We're going to just say we had a great day today and we're going to put this thing to bed. Gentlemen, I do appreciate your time. You're listening to Fireback Radio. Once again, find us online at firebackradio.com. We will see you on the other side.